It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Now the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we got a great show in store today. In fact, you can think of it as uh, Mother's Day the next day. <laughs> We're going to be talking uh, about a lot of things mom-related. Uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour, I'm going to be talking with... Uh, um, Dr. Whitney Caceres, who's a pediatrician, entrepreneur, mother, and author of a new book called The Working Mom Blueprint, Winning at Parenting Without Losing Yourself. In the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with um, comedians and authors Lisa Beth Johnson and Phoebe Bottoms, who have just come out with a book called Mom Jokes, Like Dad Jokes, Only Smarter. But first, during this uh, first hour of the show, we're going to talk with um, a, uh, let's see, I, I want to do this right, if I can find the right place in my notes to start. Oh yeah, a clinician, author, writing coach, speaker, and workshop leader, Dr. Judith Rabinor, who talks about uh, her new book, which is called The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother. And... Uh, Judy joins me by phone. Judy, welcome to the show. Tom, it's so nice to be here. Um, I I can't help asking 
what the about the title the girl in the red boots where does that come from and is this book how would you describe this book is it a memoir is it a self-help book how, how would you put those things okay, together that's that's a great question tom uh this book has been described as a hybrid it's a memoir and it certainly has some life lessons in it but there are no seven steps in other words <laughs> we all know that the relationship with our mothers is one of the most important if not the most important relationship in our lives and if it was simple to make peace with our mothers we don't know how to do it so it's really different for everyone there are no seven steps but i've given my story and the girl in the red boots is the 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 title my mother had a wonderful story she told about me and one message i want to give is that regardless of what your relationship with your mother was you might be able to think of a positive thing that happened how proud she was of you when you did something when you graduated college when you got married when you cleaned up your room and you were 4 years old when you maybe helped her in vacuuming the house So the girl in the red boots is one of the things my mother a story about me she loved to tell and it's core to the book. Um and that is one of my messages that we all many of us have a lot of baggage we carry good memories and bad memories. How do we access our good memories so they can sustain us? And and how do we act on those things when when they occur to us? I I uh comedian uh, Alan Sherman um in his uh, autobiography he said of all the people you will meet and get to know in your life you will probably know your mother and father the least yeah isn't that amazing thank you for bringing that up i feel i got to think about my mother more in writing this book i think about her differently then i had thought about her my whole life because my whole life i had my stories about her and a lot of them were the stories of what she did wrong and the way my feelings had been hurt and wishing that she had been more attuned to me more in sync with me and it wasn't until she died that i actually realized how much i missed her that she was the better or worse an anchor in my life she was an anchor and Once she was gone, I I appreciated that about her in a way that truly surprised me, and that's how I got started writing this book. Um, and I realized that most that I had thought about my mother as my mother, not as the person she was the twenty four years before she became my mother, the years that shaped her, right? Yeah. When I yeah. I was really lucky growing up, um, Judy. My my parents. were both storytellers. They loved mm-hmm. to tell stories. So they told me and my sister and sometimes anyone who would listen um lots of of things that they had done and things about them and things that had happened to them. And and so you know in many ways I I got to know my parents a little better than some people do. Some parents are are very quiet keep things to themselves and they don't share a lot of themselves they find themselves playing a role um it, i it, 
you know, anybody listening might think that this is scripted, but it's not. My mother did tell stories about herself, but the stories she told, they they had a, not such a great impact on me. And one story my mother told, I remember being growing up, being a teenager, I'd say, well, didn't you ever get into any fights with your mother, with your parents? And she'd say, no, my parents were perfect. We never had any fights. <laughs> and my mother would say this, and I would say, think to myself, how is it possible that she had perfect parents? Well, I don't have perfect parents. How did I get chipped? <laughs> and then I became a... Yeah, exactly. So my mother, what I write about in this book, she came from a generation of optimists and people who did not, quote, air their dirty laundry. And honestly, it's a disservice to your children when you tell them that your life was perfect or... Your parents were perfect because no one's perfect, right, Tom? Well, yeah, of course. And my parents would never uh, talk about, uh, like, for example, money. They never mm -hmm. talked about money in front of the kids. That was, or or anybody else. That was. There were just these certain things that you weren't allowed to talk about. And that's actually a disservice because. Kids should grow up. I mean, they don't have to know every time the parents are having anxiety about how they're going to get food on the table, but they should understand the role money plays in our life, right? I remember the first time I heard somebody say, you know, the reason we go to work, the reason we get paid, it's called work because it's work. And you're lucky if you're like you. You seem to really love your work, and I do too. But still, sometimes you don't feel like getting up at 6 in the morning in order to get organized, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, I used to do the show at 6 in the morning, and I got up at 3.30, and I wasn't always crazy about that. Oh, my God, that. that sounds really horrible. Well, I'm glad you graduated to the next slot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but a parent tell, not discussing money or telling their children, you know, my life was great, that's really a disservice when I have mothers and daughters in my office. What I do often is I say to the mother, tell your daughter the hardest thing that you ever went through in your life. And usually the daughter sits there with her eyes open, listening to struggles that the mother had had. And sometimes we try to protect our children and we really do a disservice. On, on the other hand, you would agree, it's not good to be a chronic complainer and worrier and scare your children to death, but like a balance so children know life does have hardship. And the most important lesson, life has hardship and I survived. I'm here and I'm your mother. Or I'm here and I'm Tom running the show even though I had to get up at 3 in the morning <laughs> for I don't know how many years. I don't know how many years that was. Yeah, it was a while. I, I, <laughs> did, I did that for about five years. But um, Yeah, that's what... That's what we do when we begin. You know, we don't have the choices we have when we get older. And young people need to really hear that, that, you know, the road to success is paved with a lot of hard work, right? But I, Yeah, but I think that the key word that, that you used was balance. Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, some sense that, yeah, there are these, uh, you know, these, these valleys, these hardships that we go through, but there are peaks, too. Absolutely, and it's important for children to learn that there are peaks, so the hardships are really worth it. But 
But if they think that, like, for example, my childhood was great and I never had any strife with my parents, well, that's not really realistic. There are very few people who never got into any trouble because they stayed out too late or they drove the family car when they weren't supposed to or they ate the birthday cake that was in the refrigerator that they weren't supposed to and they got punished, right? <clears throat> right. I mean, that's part of life. I I remember... Um think finding a photograph of my mother from it was probably the very early 50s um and and she was working and living in an apartment and um my parents were both um really um committed to their responsibility to be good examples and role models so they tended you know to be a little a little straight laced seeming at at times most of the time so i find this picture of my mother wearing blue jeans and a flannel shirt smoking a cigarette with a beer in her <laughs> other hand and oh, it funny. and and it was funny and it was odd and it was like this revelation that that she used to be someone else <laughs> that is funny and and yeah. that is kind of how it it strikes us when we find out that our parents are people too. Yeah, our parents are people. You know, another thing that I really write about in my book is how we are wired, or the, another thing that drove my book. We're wired to protect ourselves, and very often we remember the bad things, not the good. There is a line that says we have Teflon. We have Teflon for the good and Velcro for the bad. If somebody hurts us, hurts our feelings, betrays us, keeps something from us, we hold on to that. You know, you probably can think of people in your life that have betrayed you. You know, they betray you once, you forgive them. But they betray you twice, you get a bad feeling, right? Right. And sometimes it doesn't matter even if they've done 10 or 20 or 100 good things. The bad thing is what sticks. And that's because we are primitive animals. Like, think about animals in the jungle that were worried that a bird of prey or a tiger or a lion or a bear or somebody would come and devour them. They had to really have their antenna up for danger. <laughs> and we still are, we still I, wired that way. I, I just I, I got that picture in my head of uh, uh, from the uh, uh, oh from the. Uh, movie the wizard of oz with the characters uh, traipsing down the yellow brick road um nervously chanting lions and tigers and bears oh my <laughs> oh, oh my god you just brought me back to my childhood i remember watching that movie and boy was i terrified right uh, yeah i had a funny experience with my nieces about that showing them the movie and and i had forgotten how terrifying to young children the movie is um Judy, I, I'm having so much fun talking, and I want to talk some more, but I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure. Okay. Sure. Right here. My guest is uh, Dr. Judith Rabinar. She is the author of a book called The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother. And we're going to talk more about that when we return. If you're uh, listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze in a few words. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with Dr. Judith Rabinor, the author of The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother. And she joins me by phone. Judy, uh, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. That's perfectly okay. This is how the world works, right? <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Um, is there a special relationship between mothers and daughters? Well, there's a special relationship between mothers and both sons and daughters, and then an, an even more special relationship between mothers and daughters. Because, you know, a mother paves the way. She shows by example what the life of a woman is. And the fact is <clears throat> that men and women lead different lives, even today, where we have more gender equality than ever before. But we still know that things are not the same for mothers and daughters, but for daughters and sons. But a son grows up with a certain bunch of expectations. And daughters really don't. Just yesterday, I was out with a friend, and some woman who didn't know us passed. And she said, Happy Mother's Day. And my friend said to me, Why would she say Happy Mother's Day? Everybody isn't a mother. Everybody who's a female is not a mother. But the expectation that you will become a mother is, I think, really stronger. The expectation that you will do certain female things is different than what the expectation is for boys and men. Would you? What do you think? Oh, I think that's. I, I think that's true. I it. I agree that it's a little presumptuous for someone to right. wish someone they don't know Happy Mother's Day. But but you know. But if things are changing now, and now more women feel they have the right to choose whether they want children. But when I grew up, and I don't know when you grew up, but it, you know, certainly more than 25 years ago, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Quite a bit more. Yeah, right. Yeah, me too, me too. And it, it, you were, it, I went to, I told somebody recently, I was sent to college to get my MSW, my, my MRS. I went to college thinking my main job in life was to get married. And that was what the expectation for girls was. And even now, women have different life expectations than men. Do, do you think so? I, I do, but I, but I also agree with you, Judy, that it's changing. Yes, it's definitely changing. More women are now given the a right and the opportunity to be successful in a way they certainly weren't. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, certainly when my mother was born in 1918. And you know, Tom, one of the most interesting things I really thought about was that my mother was born in 1918. That is two years before women had the right to vote. And when I wrote the book, I wrote that line made me really think about the expectations for her and her life and her generation. That fact shaped her life not having the right to vote, right? And things certainly improved by my generation and in the generations to come. But anyway, so mothers are, we, we are really impacted by our same-sex parent um, in a different way. And in this, uh, and in this time of, uh, of change, um, parents are changing. 
The family unit is changing. Um, is it possible to have the same kinds of relationships that um, that develop between parents and their children from what we remember, Judy, as sort of the, the nuclear family, you know, a mom, yeah, a, a, mom a dad, it, and, and a, you know, a boy and a girl. Um, yeah, you know, and a picket fence. And, yeah. And a picket fence. You know, there was this whole, you know, almost leave it to beaver-like kind of impression we had of things. But things are not like that anymore. There are same-sex marriages and they're adopting. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, right, things have really expanded and opened up, and I think it makes it hard for many older people. And I hope I didn't sound like I was anti um, any of the fluidity that is now the norm in gender identity. Oh, I didn't get that you know? Im- impression yeah, at but, all, Judy, and, and, and I don't think but, you gave that impression, but it but it did make me wonder what your thoughts are. And, and my, my thoughts are that it's a very different world. Like my t- I have two grown children, and one lives in another country, and one lives in San Diego, and I live in New York. And I grew up with my grandparents living in the adjacent towns. So that's a different, I'm a different kind of grandparent. And my children have different support from the grandparents. If, you're, if the grandparents don't live nearby, they're more like visitors than they are like constant support in right. life, right? Right. Yeah, and I think that's huge. And divorce is another, I mean, more than 50% of the population is divorced. And people get married later. Um, so it's a very different world, very different. And I and guess I guess where I was going, Judy, is that some of the lessons that um, that are revealed in your book from some of the things that you point out, some of the stories that you share, um, are they universal? Well, what I really write about, what I show in the stories I tell is the depth of my attachment to my mother. That even though she did many things that disappointed me or annoyed me, I was deeply attached to her and she pulled through and stood by me in so many important ways. And I think I wrote this book, writing the book was kind of a ritual of mourning because Mm. I missed her and I appreciated her. And I have heard talk about things I have heard People's stories change after they lose someone that they loved. Suddenly, the good rises to the surface, and that's what they remember. They remember what they missed, not what annoyed them or bothered them or hurt them, right? So I think there is a universal in that, that we miss people when they are no longer here. And that even goes for, like, breakups. So often people break up, you know, younger people people who are married 40 years decide they're getting divorced. They spend six months without each other and they think, oh my goodness, I forgot how attached I was to you. You know? I wonder if the Gates will go through that. (laughs) Well, everybody is wondering that. I mean, the perfect couple, right? Exactly. The perfect perfect couple and how are they going to find something that's more perfect around the corner, but... This is the mystery of life. The mystery of life is that we all have our independence and we all make decisions for better or worse. Judy, when you, you were know, writing, the, when you were writing the book, mm-hmm. you 
um, just hinted that in a lot of ways it was therapeutic for you. But as, as you were narrating um, this book, was that the voice in your head talking to you or the voice you use when you teach and lecture um, talking to other people? No, I think I was with the voice in my head because <laughs> I was with the voice in my head. And I wrote a couple of stories that um, portray my mother as kind of an insensitive mom. I wrote them over and over and over. And then one day I was in a writing class and somebody said to me, you know, you're writing these stories about how your mom really wasn't such a great mom, but you look like you kind of have your life together. You're married, you have two kids, you have a great profession. So where's that mom? And that was an eye-opener. You know, it's really yeah. fun to be, to be in a writing group, and people ask you questions that challenge your stories. And I had to challenge my own story about myself. And I had to look into myself and think about all the ways I was an imperfect mom. And that was really therapeutic, and that was really growth-enhancing. I myself am divorced, and... You know, divorce is hard for kids. And when I was getting divorced, I wasn't thinking about my kids. I was mostly, I mean, I was thinking about them some. And my ex-husband and I created a very good um, family, even though we were both divorced. I even wrote a book about that called Befriending Your Ex After Divorce, Making Life Better for You, Your Kids, and Yes, Your Ex. But now that I'm older and my children are older, I know that divorce poses lots and lots of hardships for everybody in a family. So the voice, I had a lot of voices in my head, but I didn't have the voice that was lecturing. It was my lecture voice. I had, I tried to have my more soulful voice. Like, what was it really like for my mother? I wrote a couple of scenes. What was it really like for my mother when she was 16, when she was 17? When she was 18, what was it really like for her when my father died? And that gave me a better perspective on who she was. And I became more compassionate to her. And I felt more loving to her. And I understood that certain things that happened when I was eight years old, well, she wasn't thinking about me, just like maybe I wasn't thinking about my children every single decision that I made. You know what I mean, Tom? Yeah, I do. Um, and and I was wondering, you know, so many times there 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 are so many books with uh, parenting advice, and and <laughs> as you pointed out earlier, um, you know, your book doesn't have the seven steps because it's different for everybody. But um, but there are these things, and one of the things that that people are cautioned against is. Um, treating their kids like friends and, and not being the responsible one in the room. And, and, um, and, and I just wondered what your thoughts are about the risk of becoming friends between parents and children. Well, I think it depends how old your children are. I mean, so when you become friends with your 10-year-old, and this happens often. Sometimes there's a horrible divorce and a 10-year-old becomes like a co-parent, right? A 10-year-old right, right. is left with a lot of responsibility, cooking dinner, watching a younger kid. And I think that that has 
a lot of negative ramifications when a 10-year-old child or a 12-year-old child is what we, is parentified and is really made into a co-parent. And some parents don't have a lot of options. They don't have a lot of support. They have to work at night. They have to go out and leave their kids home. And they put a young child in charge of the older one. And that's really the best they can do. Hopefully, they're not leaving a 10-year-old in charge of a 1-year-old, right? Right. But, um, yeah, but I think that children want to feel safe. Children want to feel cared for. And safety does mean rules and rituals and the feeling that we're going to be here for you. We or I, if you're a single parent, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to let you know that there's going to be dinner on the table, that I'm going to take care of you. I can manage myself. But it, but it also causes parents to uh, maintain an image of um, no weakness. Well, I think that's what parents really struggle with. At what point do I tell my children that, for example, I got married because I was pregnant? You certainly are not going to tell a six-year-old that, right? A right. six-year-old wouldn't even understand that. You might not want to tell an 11-year-old that, but... I mean, somebody just told me, someone I know well told me something crazy. When her mother died, her father said to her, you know, your mother never wanted anyone to know her age. She really was 81, not 74. So to keep your age, you know, a secret <laughs> from your child forever, isn't that, isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It's amazing. So at what point do the roles start to reverse? And I know before my mother... My mother was very ill at the end of her life, and I remember being in her apartment, and she handed me her checkbook, and she said, I want you to take care of this for me. I'm making too many mistakes. And I remember she said to me during, she died at 93 and a half, she said, you've become my mother. And it was the truth, and I think that is what happens to us when we get older, the roles reverse. You know, somebody very wise once said, I forget who, Every generation is the same story, ascending children and descending parents. And by the time a child gets to be a certain age, they're an adult. They're an adult, when, and they know, especially in this world we live in now, anybody out there who's 40 and has a 20-year-old knows that your 20-year-old knows more about finding things on the Internet than you do. They've grown <laughs> up with this, right? They've right, grown right. up with these skills. So our children start teaching us things at a very early age. But when they're young, kids want to know that they're safe and they're nourished and there are rules and that the parents are in charge. So I think every family is different. When does this transition start happening? Um, you know, did you have a specific thought in mind about I don't know, a situation, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I think probably what I'm curious about next is whether or not you were able to make peace with your mother before she passed, or if that was something... Absolutely. When, you know, that was an interesting thing, that when my mother got old and was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, I realized how much I really wanted to be there for her. Was it a responsibility? Yes, but I was a devoted daughter. I was a devoted daughter, and sometimes I felt resentful, but often I just felt 
sad to see my peppy, energetic mom, who had been there for me in so many ways, to see her fading and to see her deteriorating. And I was able to make peace with her. And the peace grew into even a deep, I felt like I did everything. I have no regrets, like I should have been there more. I, I was there. I managed a lot. And then I was surprised at after she was gone, how much I really missed her, about how the little simple things that she would do for me were gone. Nobody did them the way she did. Like I remember having a surgery two years after she was gone, and I kept thinking, my mother's going to walk in this room with a roast beef sandwich from my favorite <laughs> delicatessen. Yeah. And that was the kind of thing she had done my whole life, even when she got quite old. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I, I, guess, I, I guess what I was curious about is when you use a phrase like you have in the title, and, and I'll give the title of the book again, The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother. When you use a phrase like making peace with my mother, I wonder how much of that is something you do within yourself and something you do between the two of you. Um, you're going to have to invite me back because you're a mind reader. <laughs> I said to somebody recently, I said, I feel as if I was, if I was going to write this book again, I might have the subtitle be Making Peace with My Feelings. I, I did make peace with my mother, but I think I felt very guilty about all the negative feelings that I harbored. And I think I harbored them because I felt confused at, like, how did she have perfect parents and I didn't have perfect parents? And it was only when I got older and I understood she just needed to tell herself that. And I don't really understand why, but of course she didn't have perfect parents. But I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but sometimes the, the experiences we have as kids, they linger. And I think I just always felt, oh, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. What is she talking about? And when I got older and when I wrote this book, I realized she had to tell herself that story, and I don't know the reason, and I don't have to know the reason. I can't know the reason. Because we can't figure everything out about anybody in our lives. It's hard to even figure ourselves out, right? Yeah. And I, I think that... Yeah. I, I want to go back and pick up on something you said earlier, Judy, when you were talking about how we have a tendency to remember a lot of the negatives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and yet, when we think of our own lives, we tend <laughs> to remember only the positives. Is, is that just the way of the world, kind of? Well, I think one thing about remembering the negative is we are wired. Our primary instinct is to be safe. And so anything that has endangered us is going to be highlighted. And when you get into another situation of risk or danger, like you get flooded with, uh-oh, something can go wrong. Like if you were ever in a boat that capsized, I was. I've been in sailboats that capsized twice. And I'm sure that's left me leery. I know that the wind is strong and that you can really be capsized and you can wind up in the ocean or in the bay, and so I might be more nervous than somebody who was never who was never capsized in a boat. 
And capsized is a good metaphor. Sometimes parents do things that capsize our ship, right? Right. And if you had some of those experiences, or you have them with anybody, those experiences linger, and they linger longer when you're a child. Because when you're older, your brain is developed, and you're able to say, okay, everybody is imperfect. You know, my husband yelled at me, or my wife forgot to get gas in the car, and I went out, and what? How could she do that again? We're below empty, and I have to go somewhere. Well, she did it because she made a mistake. That's how she did it. But when these things happen and you're young, that primitive wiring uh, keeps those negative experiences alive and hot, you know, hot. They're like on our radar because we want to avoid danger. Think about a little fledgling duckling. If that duckling doesn't avoid danger, it's not going to survive. These are our survival mechanisms. So we're lucky. So, but, by, but then like, think about the experiences we had as teenagers, like when we got away with things. Aren't they fun to remember? Oh, of course. They're so much fun to remember. And we might have been in danger, but if we didn't get, in, if we didn't get hurt, we just remember, remember them as fun. Well, so, some of us look back and wonder how, how we survived. I agree. Think about the cars you were in with somebody driving, hopefully it wasn't you or me, driving way, way, way too fast. And did we tell that person, slow down or I'm getting out of the car? No. <laughs> that would have been nerdy, right? Yeah, that's true. I uh, yeah. was driving my uh, my daughter. She was single-digit age back then uh, to school one day, and the car broke down. And uh, she turned to me and said, Dad, I think you need to take the car to the chiropractor. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> I thought you would like right. that. Hey, you know, we're we're almost out of time, Judy, and, and uh, I, I'm going to take you up on your uh, suggestion that, that we get together again sometime. Um, but for now, I always give guests uh, an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. The name of the book is The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother by Judith Rabinor, Ph.D. Um, Judy, do you have a website? I do. It's Judith Ruske Rabinor. That's my maiden name. But if you just put Judy Rab Judith Rabinor into the browser you'll get my website, and you can buy the book on my... The, the website will direct you to Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or an independent book. I have a couple of independent bookstores listed also. So go to my website, judithruskayrabinorphd.com, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again, Tom. This was fun, and this is an old-fashioned radio program for <laughs> the next generation. I love what you call your program. Well, thank Great. you for that, Judy, and uh, thanks for sharing some of your uh, your thoughts and uh, some snippets of the book uh, with with my listeners this morning. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you for having me. Bye-bye, Tom. Have Bye. a great day. Bye-bye. That was uh, Judy Rabinor, or Dr. Judith Ruske Rabinor, Ph.D., author of The Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother. we got more Mother's Day the next day stuff uh, straight ahead but first we're going to take a short break let our broadcast partners at 92.1 fm our voices radio squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at tom we have some messages 
as well. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Mom always liked you best. My mom always liked my brother best, and she never liked me. Mom and... You, you and mom... Why do you keep telling me mom always likes you because best? Because she... Every re- time you get back, you say, mom always liked you best. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, mom always liked you best. You and and know. you always picked on me? You and mom... You and my mom and my brother get together and say, we don't like you. Because mom liked you best you know and she why never she... liked me. Wait a minute. Do you know why she liked me best? She... Oh, Would you like to know why she liked me best? Sure she liked me best, why not? I never knew mom liked you best. <laughs> you and mom always used to pick on me. That's, now I remember. Yeah, now you remember. Mom liked you best and she never liked me. You wanna know why? Why? Because I happen to be an only child. <laughs> Touchy, touchy. <laughs> Touché. Touché. This just isn't your night, Tommy. Your mom you... gave you a dog. My mom gave my brother a dog, and I didn't get to have a dog in more Everybody than Everybody had dogs. I didn't have a dog. You got to have a dog in more than anything in the whole world. I wanted to have a dog of my own. I asked my mom, I said, Mom, I want to I have a dog like my brother Dickie Smothers. You remember me. I'm Tommy Smothers. <laughs> And I never got to have a dog, and you wouldn't let me play with your dog or anything. I remember when I was 10 years old, I said, if I could only have a dog. My brother had a dog, and I couldn't... I didn't get to play with your dog, and you you would always tell Mom when I played with your dog, Hey, Tommy's playing with my dog. You remember Tommy, the kid you don't like so much? (laughs) But I didn't get to play with a dog, and I didn't have a dog. Hold it a minute. Before we go any further, you... You know you had your own pet already. Crummy chicken. Well, you wanted it. It's no fun playing with a chicken. They don't bark good. You wanted it. You I said, didn't want that. You wanted to sell the eggs. It was a rooster. And every Saturday, my brother, they would, all, the, all of his friends, they get on their, they all get up their dogs and they get their bicycles. And they, I didn't have a bicycle either! <laughs> you had a bicycle! Now hold it down, hold it down. You're just getting excited. You had a wagon. That was a good wagon. One wheel? <laughs> What'd you do with the other wheels? Well, it was hard for the chicken to pull that one wheel wagon. Listen. You never liked me and you went on hikes and you... and. You know why you didn't get to go on hikes? You, you never had, would accept you know, me. You even had a dolly. A what? A dolly. My brother had a doll. You shut up. You shut up about my doll. You had that dolly. I remember you and your dolly. I said, Mom, don't give me a dolly. I, I was always, I always liked my brother. Mom says, always like your brother. And I like my brother. We used to 
hanging around and do things together. Every, about once every three or four months, he'd say, come on, Tom, let's go smoke some Crayolas. <laughs> I certainly did not say that. You did, Crayolas. too! I did not. Stains your teeth. You go it? on hikes. That's right, we went on hikes, because dogs and boys go on hikes. You can't take a chicken on a hike. Frank was a good hiker. Listen, all the guys knew Frank was the best hiking chicken in the block. The reason you couldn't go on a hike, you couldn't keep up. You in that crummy wagon. But you want to know the Fast, real reason? Fastest one-wheel wagon around! All right, Tommy, you want to know the real reason? Is that it wasn't your place to go on a hike with us. It's we liked you, and we liked the chicken, but boys and dogs, they go on hikes together, they're buddies, you know? A little boy even sleeps with his dog. You've never realized the place for a boy in this chicken. Chicken coop. You should have kept that crummy chicken in that chicken coop, Tom, and away from my dog. My uh, chicken killed his dog. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Just the thought of you makes 
stop before I begin now. Hey, little darling, said I got you. Show down here. 
It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.